So, we are live. Hello, Inna. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Jordan. I'm doing well. And you? I'm fantastic, as always. Thank you. Would you like to give a quick introduction <laughs> to who you are, where you've come from, what you do, why you do it for everybody at home? Yeah. Uh, so, hi, everyone. I'm Inna. Um, now I'm a freelance copywriter uh, here in the Netherlands. Um, I'm originally from Ukraine and I've been a translator from English to Ukrainian and vice versa to Russian as well uh, for yeah more than five years. And uh, then I took a detour of five years into customer service, customer care, and then I came back, uh, let's say, as a copywriter. So I came back to languages and writing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, that's what I do now. I basically followed my passion to, uh, yeah, to come back. Mm -hmm. So yeah. what made you then in the first place make the change from the translation to the customer service then? Yeah, that was, uh, that's a good question. It was basically um, when I moved to the Netherlands, I realized that, okay, uh, it was uh, a bit more than six years ago. Uh, the remote work was not uh, that um, popular uh, then. And I didn't see any possibilities for myself to kind of earn um, a decent salary in the Netherlands while working for a Ukrainian company as a translator. And then uh, I didn't find enough uh, translation uh, jobs uh, in the Netherlands, uh, especially for my yeah, language pair. There is, yeah, if you are translating from Dutch to English, then it's easy. But if it's English and then some other language, then it's uh, it gets harder. And I think what played a major part in that as well is that I uh, heard from everywhere, oh, it's so hard to find a job when you just move to a new country, you're an expat, you don't know anything. So I kind of believed that. Uh, at the time and I was like okay I need to find some kind of job any job um, well I didn't want to you know work uh, in the kitchen or anything I, I wanted an office job uh, but yeah so customer service was I think uh, the easiest to land uh, because it has uh, yeah uh, let's say an entry level uh, you need yeah common sense you need maybe uh, some language skills and yeah that was it so uh, mm -hmm. that's how I ended up in customer service in just because I didn't, I would say at that time, I didn't uh, follow through on kind of, I didn't have determination uh, at mm -hmm. that time, <laughs> enough determination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Okay. How, how did you kind of find the customer service job then? Did you enjoy it? Did you hate it? Is that what kind of sparked that change? Um what has worked well for me and it's still working really well for me is networking uh so uh when i just came to the country i started going out meeting people like uh, going to workshops uh, networking events and just kind of talking to people saying like oh i'm looking for a job uh do you know anything and then uh basically a friend of mine um, she said, oh, I know someone who works at uh, an employment agency and these agencies are really popular here in the Netherlands. So I just went uh, to an interview there and then they found me a uh, position um, with, yeah, with the company. I had an interview there. So it was kind of, um, 
I had one, let's say I had one interview at the agency, one interview at the company, and I started working uh, there. So I didn't have too many interviews. I didn't have too many contacts. It was just like, okay, uh, yeah, I was lucky to, to yeah, meet the right people. And the first time and the second time, the, the both uh, office jobs that they had in the Netherlands are, yeah, due to knowing someone um, who could recommend me for that position. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, cool. So it's, yeah, uh, definitely. It's, it's definitely who you know, not what you know, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so true. you've obviously, as you kind of said, you've now moved into more of the copywriting, kind of freelance copywriting. And obviously before that, you were a translator. And I know that you've worked with clients from multiple areas all over the world. Um, so kind of to give you a few examples, obviously you've had Russian clients, Dutch clients, and then obviously English speaking clients. So my first mm -hmm. question is, how does the copy that you write, the closing process in terms of closing them as a client and just generally working with them from different backgrounds, different kind of cultures, how do they kind of differ? Mm hmm. Uh, well, um, I don't want to generalize too much, let's say, uh, because it also differs uh, per person. Uh, but, um, for example, when it comes to um, Dutch people and also expats here in the Netherlands, I've worked also a lot with expats here, uh, they are much more direct uh, in, their, in what they want, in how they communicate uh, their, you know, everything, uh, let's say their wishes, or maybe if they don't feel something is right. Um, so basically when I'm also passionate and passionately explaining or commenting on some edits in the copy, you know, they are not getting offended or, you know, like they, uh, yeah, they understand it. And it's uh, basically, yeah, it's, it's normal for them um that i'm also direct in what i'm saying right and um i know also you know some american clients who uh yeah are the same you know they say yeah i like working with eastern people eastern europe people because uh you yeah you don't feel like i'm pushing you or anything you know so it's basically it both works both ways um but also another thing and as a, another ex aspect i would say is that uh, for example, people from Eastern Europe, and I'm talking about Russia, Ukraine, uh, so Russian-speaking market. Um, when it comes to um, work-life balance, it's it gets tougher there because uh, people often um, make work their life. Uh, so uh, they work weekends, they work um, in the evenings, and then if I don't establish my uh, boundaries, uh, then it means that I'm working weekends and I'm working in the evening as well because they are writing to me, you know, they expect me to answer or they expect me to uh, do some urgent translation or something like that. So basically, <laughs> uh, when it comes to that aspect, I like working with uh, European clients more in because they don't uh, by default, they don't expect me to work in the weekends or in the, you know, in the evening. So, uh, because, yeah, here it's really like the Dutch culture is really focused on work-life balance. So there is really, uh, yeah, there are few people who would expect you to work weekends, for example. Uh, yeah, so that's, that it has its upsides and downsides. But on the other hand, for example, I know... 
you know, Eastern European culture more. So then it's, of course, easier for me to understand and even, you know, communicate. We can speak English or we can speak Russian or we can speak Ukrainian. So, yeah, it, uh, it has its uh, upsides and downsides. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. I fortunately don't have to deal with that because, um, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of ignorant. I only speak English at this point anyway. I'm learning French, but I'm definitely not at the level where I could write copy for it uh, in that language. Sorry. So you obviously mentioned like with Russian, then they kind of have mm -hmm. less of a work life balance than, say, the Netherlands or any, any other kind of European country. How do you kind of respectfully set those mm -hmm. boundaries to make sure that a Russian client or a Russian speaking client isn't eating up all of your time trying to get work in on weekends or the evenings when you don't want to be working? Um, yeah, so uh, what I've had, um, I, I would say it also really depends on you personally, because um, when you know that you are not working weekends, uh, then you just tell your client that and uh, they are um, actually really respectful of that. I mean, of course, sometimes they write to me in the weekend, but uh, if I don't respond, there is yeah, nothing happens in terms of, yeah, they don't get angry or anything. They, they are fine with that because I told them uh, upfront that, okay, I'm not uh, working weekends. So yeah, don't expect me to answer. Um, but on my side, I have to fight, you know, the instinct to quickly respond the message, to quickly check what they wrote uh, in the email. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, it really depends on you and how you can establish your boundaries, first of all. And then, of course, if the client is not okay with it, then it's not your client. I believe that um, there has to be, you know, some um, respect on both sides and it has to be, you know, mutual cooperation. Uh, so not like uh, you are an employee and they are, you know, the, because that's, that happens often as well, uh, that the um, Russian speaking or yeah, Eastern European work culture is more um, it, ha it has a it's strict hierarchy. So you have a boss who is um, everything and tells you what you have to do and you have to follow them and you don't question that. But then when it comes to Dutch work culture, it's different. You can go up to your boss and you can say what you don't like. And that's what I like in the Dutch culture. And that's why I also try to do that also with my clients, you know, like it's a, I, I see it as a cooperation because I, I see like I can help them and they can help me. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not a boss and employee relationship anymore. So then, mm. yeah, uh, in the end, it's respecting each other. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think it's important to know when somebody isn't your client. I think that's an important point you touched on. You know, if somebody isn't respecting the fact that you want evenings off or weekends off, or even if you just, have said you don't want to work on this day because maybe it's a day that you can spend with your children or your partner and they don't respect that mm -hmm. it's important to be okay to say no because at the end of the day I mean I've been in that situation before I've had a client who wants last minute work over the weekend due for the like the next Monday and I've just kind of grudgingly did it but grudgingly did it the entire mm -hmm. weekend and hated well kind of resented the client on a kind of underlying mm -hmm. level because I don't want to be working 
And although it's my place to say I don't work weekends, I would still kind of subconsciously blame the client, which isn't fair to either of us. So I definitely mm -hmm. hear what you're saying. And it's definitely something that yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs, especially kind of beginning in the business world, the freelance world, need to kind of understand that boundaries are okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I've also had clients who I had to, you know, work for in the weekend and everything. And I really wanted to help them. And I liked the person I was working with. Uh, but in the end, I also told him, for example, like there were some things that I could have done better if I had more time, you know, like it was just not possible to uh, complete in, uh, you know, the, the things that you wanted, or maybe, yeah, I, I saw some improvement points, let's say in what I could have done if I had like one day more or several hours more. Uh, so that's why I told him, like, if you want, uh, better, um, quality, like better, well, not quality of work, but a more deep, uh, work then I need more time for this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, that's also another point that of course you can do it, but then, yeah, is the quality the same? I don't know because yeah, sometimes yeah. it's hard to work eight hours a day creatively. Yeah. So, oh yeah, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Like I know a lot of people who they have maybe a two hour window where they're really creative and then after that they just can't, they, you know, their brain just has brain fog and, and writer's block if they're writing but generally just creative yeah. block. So I think, yeah, Absolutely. I think that's another great way to set boundaries is to kind of say, look, I can do the work in this time, but it won't be as good as if, or it won't be as deep or it won't be as thorough. Cause you know, if you've got three weeks for a project as opposed yeah. to one, you can spend that extra time doing research. You can spend the extra time making changes and tweaks and kind of making mm -hmm. sure that it is the best it could be. So yeah, definitely good point. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything more you wanted to add on yeah. setting boundaries or working with clients from multiple different kind of backgrounds? Um, I'd say that um, I think that in the end, when you know who your client is, it's um, and you, you know, you do what you need to do to attract those clients then it doesn't matter which country they are from, you know, like background, anything because uh, they are your people and then you understand each other you know and you there is this uh magic uh happening so uh, in the end that's what i'm striving for you know having my people come to me and then uh, i know that i will uh, of course do my best and it, it doesn't and then it's not that hard you know the boundaries the timelines deadlines anything it's just then it's it's just easy to yeah if it's it's if it's your person that's yeah. uh i think that's the main point <laughs> mm, yeah definitely that makes a lot of sense um okay cool so another thing i wanted to talk about then you are absolutely fantastic mm -hmm. with instagram stories and you have been at least since you've been kind of back into the freelance copywriting world so my first question is, what is one big thing that you see that people are doing wrong with Instagram stories today? Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing is not knowing why you post those stories. It's like mm -hmm. there is no purpose behind the story. So it's like, 
posting for posting, not posting for something, you know, to achieve something. I think, and I, well, I actually, I know that there has to be a strategy behind uh, the story because uh, Instagram stories are a great way to connect with your audience, to get them to trust you, to ultimately uh, sell your product to them. So then um, when you are posting something like, I don't know, breakfast or whatever, then um, it doesn't bring any value to your actual goal. Uh, so then it end up, uh, you, you can end up, um, I don't know, distracting people and actually discouraging people from watching your story. So um, I think the most important is indeed to have a goal um, for your story every time, every time you do it. Okay, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Make sure you know why you're posting. Okay, so how do you yeah. find a balance then between posting something personal and making and basically mm -hmm. making sure that it has a purpose? Because, you know, you, for example, I could post that I'm having this for breakfast today and you could argue that's not relevant to my goal, which objectively speaking it isn't, but it, that could be me sharing the personal side of what I do. So how do you kind of find that balance mm -hmm. and make sure that you're still yeah. sharing personal content, but it's still relevant. Uh, yeah, so that's that's um, a really complex but interesting question as well. Um, I'd say um, that, for example, if you are a fitness blogger or you are, I don't know, a nutritionist or someone like that, and you are posting your breakfast, then obviously this is connected, if, uh, even though it's personal, it's still connected to the concept of your blog, so what you are about. But uh, when, um, yeah, and also it shows you, you know, like as a person who kind of follows their principles. Uh, but um, when you are not mentioning that you are really keen on healthy diet, that you are, you know, a vegan, that you are uh, whatever, that when uh, you, you are not showing anything else related mm -hmm. to healthy food or healthy lifestyle, and then you're just posting one breakfast, it's just like, yeah, and, but when uh, you are saying, I am vegan, so I don't know, for example, you are a copywriter for vegans, or, you know, for holistic uh, life coaches, or whatever, and then you are saying, yeah, I'm also suppo supporting that lifestyle, I'm also... Yeah, doing yoga, I'm also uh, do, uh, some recycling or whatever, then it kind of supports uh, your um, mail, you know, like the topic of your blog, your, it supports you as a person, it kind of supports your personal brand. So it's like uh, thinking, okay, what, what, who am I? What will prove that to my audience? So what are their tools or what can I show that will support? what I'm saying, so my, yeah, myself, my personal brand, and then uh, showing those small things that will support your personal brand. So basically, the, I hope I explained it clearly. <laughs> I hope you, you get what I mean. So if it's uh, out of the blue, not related to your personal brand, nothing that's, um, yeah, so ju just, yeah, random fact, then it, that, then it doesn't bring any value. But when it's the core of your personal brand, then of course your breakfast can be a part of, of your stories or everyday mm -hmm. stories or yoga okay. or 
Mm. Anything. Yeah, that makes sense. It's almost like if you look at if you look at a story, yeah, yeah. and your customer could then be like, "Well, why? Like that doesn't really make sense. Like it seems like it's out of nowhere." Then it's kind of not something to post. But if as long as it fits with mm-hmm. what you post normally and yeah. the brand you're building. So, for example, if we take me, it doesn't make sense necessarily for me to post a picture of what I've had for breakfast because I'm, you know, I'm not a vegan. I'm not vegetarian. I'm not kind of specific to these niches either. Um, whereas it could make sense for me to post yep. a picture of, I don't know, me, me in the back of a limo for whatever reason, because I obviously work with luxury brands. So that does fit and it, it kind of relates. Yeah, something like that. Indeed. Okay. Indeed. So, um, but also what's important as well uh, is to have, you know, that's another thing that I see a lot on stories. Um, there, They are often a collection of random things or random facts let's say so okay uh yeah today i don't know i'm getting a cat then i'm writing for my client then i don't know i'm having dinner with my husband but uh what i like to see what i like to do as well is to kind of connect several things that are happening in your day or in your life with one thread let's say so it's not like you are just at the back of your limo but you are telling a whole story how you got into that limo, you know, like you are saying, oh, okay. oh, I have this amazing client who is, I don't know, renting out limos, for example. Mm-hmm. And today I had a talk with them or I had, uh, you know, I, I had a meeting with them and they suggested, yeah, why don't you drive the limo? Because then you will experience our product more and then you can write better. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it's a good story how you got into that limo. And that's something that is interesting to see for people. So basically, it's like your stories can be a series uh, that people follow. You know, there is every day there is another episode of the of a series of your life. But then, of course, it has to have a goal. So it has to be related to your personal brand and kind of building your authority as an expert. Mm. So that's all. Yeah. And then, of course, people are like, oh, so from that story of a limo, they see, okay, he has clients. (laughs) That's good. (laughs) He has a luxury brand. So I am a luxury brand. So probably he's good at working with luxury brands so I can go to him, you know, and then uh, maybe if they are interesting, interested in driving a limo, they could just go to that company. So it's like three things you achieve with one. series of of stories right Mm -hmm. okay yeah yeah, that makes a lot of sense i can talk about insta stories forever (laughs) well that's good i mean like i said i kind of see you as the expert in instagram stories you definitely know what you're doing you definitely know like even more than me and most social media influencers that i've kind of met um so you almost need to think of it then as because like with me i have a really bad tendency of just stating facts like you kind of said not to do and just kind of you know throwing something that happened out there without (laughs) any real purpose or any story behind it so you do need to literally treat your instagram stories as stories tell it from point a to point b to point c how you've kind of progressed and then relate it back to your brand yes exactly and also what's important is narrating uh, about your feelings so like uh, how how to make your audience react it's first expressing your own feelings your own opinion and then of course they will be willing to share theirs 
because um, it's hard for also for people if they don't know you that well and they don't know what kind of person you are then yeah they won't start reacting out of the blue but when you make the first step and then tell them also so telling the whole story and then also sharing your feelings then it gets you uh closer to them mm. yeah it's definitely much easier to connect with somebody on an emotional level than it is to connect with them logically you know like you like for example using the limo example i say i'm in a limo not many people are really going to care but if i say oh this client works at a limo company he said like why do you want to come in a limo i've yeah. never been in a limo before i'm really excited like i want to take you guys along with me then you can connect to that excitement not just the fact that i'm in a limousine exactly okay cool yeah so yeah then exactly. to kind of to Absolutely. kind of get into the specific yeah. types of content <clears throat> then that you can use on stories what are some of the best types of content that mm -hmm. you should be posting to Instagram stories to use them to the fullest of their ability. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> of course, testimonials work uh, really well to support, mm -hmm. you know, your um, credibility. Uh, then behind the scenes, because people are always interested in how you're working and yeah, just basically your surroundings, uh, your uh, the look out of your window I don't know whatever um, and then um, your um, values uh, that's something that you can also convey in insta stories with that's also really important for a client uh, for example you can show on stories how responsible you are how uh, detail oriented you are like um, how much you care that it's uh, you know the best quality um, like the, the job that you are doing of the best, uh, the, the work you are doing is of the best quality. You can also um, express some uh, things like, yeah, your opinion about generally, you know, like worldview. You can also connect to people on that. So um, if you know that your target audience shares the same values, then you can show them in order to attract your audience, in order to get them to trust you and um so that's that's all you can do uh, on on stories so yeah sharing your values sharing your testimonials and results because that's how you show that you are an expert um and of course showing behind the scenes this just because it's curious for people to watch just because mm -hmm. it's uh yeah everyone wants to see uh you know the details of other people's lives and hear something yeah something secret uh, some secrets or <laughs> that yeah. kind of stuff yeah that makes a lot of sense i know that behind the scenes content especially works really really well because it is just raw unedited and you know not gone for, it's not gone for any filters which kind of people really like nowadays so one other thing i wanted mm -hmm. to ask you about then regarding instagram stories is i have seen some very very visually stunning Instagram stories and I've also seen some Instagram stories that look like they mm -hmm. were thrown together in a few seconds you know maybe it's a black background with just some white text and then some yeah. scribbles on it so my question now mm -hmm. is do you want to share any of the design secrets for Instagram stories for how you can make and level mm -hmm. up your Instagram stories visually um <clears throat> I'd say um, I have another opinion on that um, I'd say that design 
is secondary because um, it depends on your audience. You can actually teach your audience or yeah, like they can get used to what you are doing as long as you are producing interesting content. So design, uh, of course, it's important when, for example, you don't uh, add, I don't know, uh, 10 lines of text on it. When, mm. when it's just digestible, uh, then it's fine. Uh, but um, I think that in the long run, if you are posting every day, if you are posting stories every day, it drains your energy. It drains your energy a lot. So if you are spending too much time on the design, then it means that you're not spending time working with your clients, uh, thinking about the value you can give to your audience through your stories. So what I do is I just spend um, as little time as possible on the design, but making sure that there is some connection between the stories, that there is some yeah, some value or something just curious to my audience to see. Hmm. So, or, well, of course, building my own personal brand. So I'm not uh, focusing on design uh, at all at this moment. So, hmm. of course, I can do that. I like seeing um, nice stories, you know, like with nice stylish design. But that's if, it, if you enjoy doing it. For me, okay. I don't enjoy doing that. So I'm not, I'm not focusing my time on that. So I would say there are lots of Canva tutorials, even Canva templates, if you want to go into design. That's that's really easy. That's uh, okay. that's not. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of trying to go beneath the surface, beneath the you know the design, but go deeper into the actual yeah value. <laughs> yeah, yeah, focusing on the value, focusing on the substance rather than just making it look pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Definitely. Okay, cool. Thank you for your insight then. Um, okay. So obviously you work with a lot of clients and offer them website copywriting. That's kind of what, you know, on your Instagram stories recently, I've seen a, you do a lot mm -hmm. of that. Yeah. So yeah. based on the, <clears throat> based on your website copywriting experience, what are three things that every single website needs to have on it to maximize conversion rates and even just traffic to the website? Mm -hmm. um, well, I would say that first of all, it's, um, I really believe in testimonials, but not just any testimonials, uh, but the testimonials that speak to the pain points of the audience. So what I like to do is actually Googling or yeah, asking if the client has some, uh, getting the testimonials and then taking the words out of, out of the testimonials and putting them back into the copy. So then when a person reads uh, the website copy, they're like, wow, it's about me, you know, it's my struggles. Um, and that works uh, the best, yeah, like in the best possible way. Um, that's the first thing. So testimonials and then kind of weave them into the website copy. Yeah. Uh, then uh, CTA, um, yeah, CTAs, because, um, yeah, without them, um, people don't know what to do. Basically people like to be told what to do and they like clarity. So I'm always thinking, okay, is this, uh, clear for them? Like, um, what to do, you know? So then 
they need to be brought to the action logically. So there is, um, yeah, kind of a structure behind the, each call to action that I add to the website copy. And, uh, you know, um, call to action is basically like your uh, sales pitch, but on a website. So I would say that, yeah, calls to action, they have to be uh, logical and they have to be, they, there have to be a lot of them <laughs> on the copy. Uh, and another thing, um, yeah, I would say, to make it authentic. I don't know if it's, it's a thing that you can put on the website, but yeah, I would just, let's say a voice. It has to have a voice. It has to have a person behind it. So if it's a personal brand, you should be able to hear that person. Uh, if it's a brand or like a business, um, even still they should have some kind of voice authentic voice that you should hear so it, it shouldn't be impersonal that's uh i would say that that's also important um because yeah if you speak to everyone you speak to no one right so yeah, absolutely absolutely you need to know who your target customer is and really hone in on their pain points and what's holding them back and yeah. what their ultimate dreams might be absolutely uh, so going back to your first point then, obviously about testimonials, do you have a particular mm -hmm. format in terms of asking for a testimonial that you follow in order to make sure that the testimonials you get answer all the questions you need answers to? Uh, yeah, uh, short, short answer. Um, I do have um, a set of questions that I send to my clients and the most important out of them is how did you feel before and how do you feel after uh, because that's what uh, people get like i was for example i was i hated my website copy before i worked with inna and now i love it you know and then it's like wow amazing that's it means that she's doing a great job <laughs> So yeah, I do have a list of questions and I've, um, yeah, I'm changing them from time to time, you know, to um, fine tune them. But yeah, the the core of it is how did you feel before? How did you feel after? And maybe, you know, like what kind of problems did you solve with this, uh, yeah, service or this kind of, uh, yeah, copy, something like that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the before and after model of a testimonial is one of the most successful models that exist because, you know, like we've seen it with fitness, you know, gyms, fitness companies, personal trainers, you know, they have a picture of somebody mm -hmm. before training with them, after training with them. It's as simple as that. You can see the problems they were having. You can yeah. then see or read, obviously, the problems they were having and then where they are now, the successes they've had. So yeah, that's definitely a great way to go about it. Yeah. Um, one other question that I personally like to have is what were you, um, what were you apprehensive about before working with me? Because then it kind of helps dispel mm -hmm. any, any kind of, um, what's the word? Any kind of objections that a potential customer may have before working with you? Because they can see like, well, they have the exact same objection as me. Maybe it's the price. Maybe it's the quality. Maybe they just don't know you. Mm. And if if they've then come around on that and then made the decision that actually that objection has been sort of solved or or kind of disproven, 
then somebody else is mm-hmm. kind of more likely to think the same, which is kind of a good way to go about it. No. Um, kind of moving on to your second mm-hmm. part then, which was about call to actions. You briefly said that you should have a lot of call to actions, which I definitely agree with. But can you have mm-hmm. too many call to actions? Because I've seen some websites <laughs> where in the hero section or the very first page at the top of the website they have four mm-hmm. or five buttons all of them leading to different places and yeah. then it just makes me sit there and think well where do you want me to go you know what do i need to look at next and it makes no sense to me so can you have too many and yeah. how do you know you have too many uh definitely you can have too many and as um it, when it goes uh, when it comes to website copy i also believe that it doesn't work without a good uh, design as well uh, because uh, you have to have someone who is saying oh it's too much text no one is going to read it and sometimes i'm having trouble saying that to my clients because they like you know including too many details or something like that but then uh, a designer is also someone who can say yeah yeah it's too much text or we should add you know one call to action here so it's kind of a combination of website copy and a good design that actually gives uh you know this uh, that brings you success so you cannot have really good design and then really bad copy and vice versa the really bad design can can spoil <laughs> can ruin the whole uh, website copy um, uh-huh. uh yeah that, that you created so i think that um also it's like being a gatekeeper um so and the designer and the copywriter can be a gatekeeper saying like this is too much or too many calls to action and indeed you can have too many of them but i kind of um i do a lot of research and i see you know the also the results of other really good copywriters and really good designers. So I know, okay, how many calls to actions are common. And yeah, that, that's what, what I try to advise to my clients as well. Like, um, so that we don't have too many and that they are clear, which mm-hmm. is also important. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely important to make sure that the design and like the copy just kind of work together. Cause yeah, bad design means that yeah you know your customer your audience may not even read the copy that you've written and having great uh, yeah. having poor a uh, good design but poor copy maybe they'll get to see all the copy but obviously they're not going to be enticed to buy from you so it's kind of they need to both mm-hmm. be on point so the way i like to think about it with yeah. my ctas on on my website is start off with one so it's almost like a pyramid so you start off with one to take them to the next logical step mm-hmm. and the further you go through the website you can have more mm-hmm. options Um, So to kind of give a specific example of what I've done with my website, you have the hero section and then you have one button and it says what we do. So services Mm -hmm. and then it expands into the services and then you can have multiple options for each individual service. So it kind of that's Mm -hmm. kind of how I think about it. There are other ways of doing it, um, but that's kind of the way that at least for a very basic website, that's kind of the best way that I've found yeah 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 so starting with um an end in mind so like you're starting okay where do i need my client to go when you know when they are at the website what do i want them to do when they are there so okay 
if I want them to read about me, it means that, yeah, this is what I need to write. Yeah. Uh, or, yeah, if I want them, you know, to click on my services, then this is what I need to write. Or this is the button that I need to use. Yeah. Yeah. So something yeah. like that. I've absolutely have them on that customer journey or that funnel that it's sometimes called you know start off mm -hmm. here's the company here's who we are then it's what do we do the services interest me do i like the company then it's the about us section and for my business for example as a service-based business every call to action at the end of my funnel all points towards booking a call with me or sending me an email mm -hmm. for a product-based business this could obviously mean buying the product from the website or it could mean booking in a consultation call yeah. again um so that's kind of you, you just need to know where are you taking mm -hmm. the customer and where are they at a given point in the journey what questions do yeah. they need answering before they then move on mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah yeah exactly, exactly. exactly. okay cool <laughs> so based on your recent stories on instagram and also your website you have a lot of clients coming in even now even during lockdown while many entrepreneurs in your <laughs> position in the exact same position are struggling to find clients so my question is what are you doing to find so many clients like what is your lead gen strategy that's clearly working so well i would say that um i'm always thinking i'm not doing enough <laughs> and uh, to be honest yeah that's um I think the struggle of every entrepreneur, even the, yeah, especially if you're just starting, but um, so far what has worked really well for me is um, basically telling about what I do, showing how I do it, uh, presenting results, and then, yeah, just on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and then um, what I'm getting, I'm getting not only uh, new people, that come from my Instagram or Facebook, but also people who knew, knew me from my translator's time. They see that I'm now a copywriter and they refer me if they see some kind of a position or some uh, job to do. So it's, um, I would say networking again, I'm like, yeah, all for networking. And uh, also uh, just uh, being yourself on social media, just, uh, posting regularly, um, providing value. Um, and then, yeah, th that's, that's how it works for me. So basically having a system behind, um, and what's important, most important also is optimism. So kind of believing that, uh, it will happen. Um, yeah. so keeping uh, yourself, uh, you know, in a good mood and kind of, um, uh, in resource to create and to give value and to uh, help people. Um, yeah, I think I think that's another. So mindset is uh, crucial as well in uh, in everything what that you do. So enjoying uh, what you do. So yeah, that's uh, that's I think also uh, important because yeah. Um, when people see me enjoying what I'm doing, then it means that, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a better job and then they are like more likely to come to me. And um, yeah, since I work mostly with personal brands, uh, that's what that what works, that's what works for them. So for my clients, they want to work with someone who is happy about what they are doing and who is 
uh, yeah, creative and they who they see as well, who they trust. So it's all coming down to again showing yourself uh, what you're thinking and yeah, mm -hmm. how you that are. makes sense. So which social media platform is working most for you right now purely in terms of how many clients you're getting from it um so far it's been instagram and facebook so i was just reposting or sharing to uh, facebook um what i was posting on instagram but i'm really optimistic about linkedin as well uh, because um it's one of the platforms where you can still get organic reach so on instagram it's getting tougher and tougher you have to invest uh, really a lot of time or money into the ads but then on linkedin it's still possible to kind of um, get some organic traction so i'm actually planning to post more on linkedin mm -hmm. and then yeah i have also two accounts on instagram so it's like uh, for my copywriting, um, it's been Instagram and Facebook, and then uh, my Russian-speaking Instagram actually um, has uh, been more about social media management and kind of uh, coaching on Instagram stories. So even though I'm not actively promoting my services right now, there are still people who come to me and they are uh, asking me about uh, how I can help them and um, yeah, like I'm, I'm now starting with a client on, um, Insta stories coaching actually. Mm -hmm. So yeah, true, yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's also which platform your clients are on. That's, that's how it works. Mm -hmm. Right. So if your clients are on LinkedIn, then, then it's better to post on LinkedIn than on Instagram, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Absolutely. Um, you need to make sure that your clients are actually there because at the end of the day if you're on a platform like let's say it's me if I'm on a platform like TikTok there really aren't that many luxury brands on TikTok right now so my mm. customers just aren't there it doesn't make sense for me to be on there um, at least not with the intention to secure clients maybe for the organic mm -hmm. growth and reach that you can kind of see on the platform but not for clients mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, definitely you need to know where your customers are to actually know where to put your energy. Mm -hmm. Do you kind yeah. of, do you like what, sorry, what is your process then for converting an audience member on a social media platform to a client? Do you try and get them on a call like we're doing now or do you kind of keep it to DMs or emails? Yeah, what do you prefer? It depends on the service. Uh, so most of the time it's, yeah, I would say it's most of the time a call. So I have discovery calls with clients because if it's website copy, for example, we need to feel each other before we start working together to see, okay, yeah, is this communication going well? Uh, do we understand what we mean and are we on the same page? So yeah, I really like if it's such, yeah, like website copy, it's a bit like a longer project. So I like to have a call with person and uh, then, yeah, just see how it goes. And even sometimes we even meet uh, offline if it's uh, here in the Netherlands, in Eintracht, for example, where I live. Um, yeah, um, DMs, I would say that would be probably if it's a one-time thing, maybe, um, but 
most of the time it's yeah most of the time it's a call yeah mm-hmm. yeah that makes it's sense a... so regarding obviously discovery calls sales calls whatever you want to call them how did you get over that initial fear and anxiety surrounding mm. going going on a call like that if you had mm. any that is because i know when i first started i was super super nervous for the first few months actually of having these calls um, and it's just kind of for me it's just mm-hmm. kind of through trial error just kind of getting used to it so how did you kind of overcome that initial fear um by getting prepared as much as possible so i had really scripts written down word by word what i was going to say like starting with hi how are you doing what is the weather today in i don't know portugal uh and then ending with yeah uh goodbye and something like that so i really had everything written down step by step and like every question every possible i don't know objection whatever i had everything written down in several languages because i had discovery calls in russian ukrainian english you know once in dutch even so i was like everything written down um and then um I think it also, yeah, like with Insta stories, like with anything, with practice, you become less and less afraid of what you're doing and you become, you know, more confident. And um, yeah, the same worked for my um, discovery calls, you know, the more projects I was doing, the more confident I was becoming in the results that I give. And then also, um, I was becoming less and less stressed about not getting a client, for example. I was not um, thinking, oh my God, what will happen if I yeah, don't get this client, blah, blah, blah. I was not worried about that anymore. And uh, then it becomes much more easy. It's like, okay, if we are a match, if it's meant to be, then yeah, we are definitely going to work together. Then it's going to be fine. And if not, then then it's also fine. Then I will still survive. I'll be fine. You know, I'll get another one. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, but that, that, that comes with time, with practice. And then, yeah, what helps me is just writing everything down and getting prepared as much as possible. Yeah. yeah definitely I can see how that can help especially first thing you know when you don't know what you're doing in a discovery call it's your first one ever so like having yeah. that script there even if you don't use it it's a comforter that it's there so that if you, you know, if your mind goes blank you know all you need to do is look down and you've got a script um, I, do you mm-hmm. use that script still or is that something that you don't need anymore now that you've become more skilled with no this? I'm not using it anymore but it's still you know I also remember the things that they need to ask and also the things that they need to explain uh so yeah it's it's kind of in my head already so i yeah, yeah i just don't need it not not because i'm not using it but because i i know you know the thing yeah. yeah 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 i yeah, think yeah, yeah, yeah. i think it's much better especially once you you're more confident with it to not have a script word for word because otherwise it sounds scripted whereas if you yeah don't have a script but you know the 10 questions you need to ask and get answers to in the call mm-hmm. i personally find that's much better um so i kind of do have a sheet with like i think it's seven questions for me actually mm-hmm. i have a sheet with that so that i know that if i'm on a call and i happen to forget one question it is literally just a glance to my computer screen and oh question four i'll ask that now and we can mm-hmm. talk about that so 
have a yeah. rough outline of what you need to know the answers to but i feel i mean once you're over that initial stage that initial fear anyway i think it's definitely a positive mm -hmm. thing to move away from that script and i yeah. think most people will naturally anyway yeah exactly and another thing is that um quite often um i get clients who are really uh, interested in my ser services because they have been following me for a while so they already know um who i am uh, how i am so then um you know they are not um we're not unfamiliar with each other to the point that they are like they don't know what to expect or they don't know yeah how yeah. i behave or anything so that's all that helps as well to feel more comfortable and be yourself in the yeah. call but yeah i think that's i haven't had it in a while that i'm like super uh, struggling or super frightened to have a call or uh, something like that yeah yeah same here that's definitely what i've kind of experienced especially because if you do content right the purpose of it is to help your audience know like and trust you so if they if you, if your content does that then they already know like and trust you and then it's like having a call mm -hmm. with a friend you know it's not you know, it's exactly. like a call now it's not a call with somebody that you never heard of or somebody that doesn't know you at all and there's kind of mm -hmm. no none of that awkwardness that maybe you don't have before you start creating content and putting your name out there yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's what i've heard also from um, one of one of my followers then we had a call together and she was like yeah, I feel like I know you for years now because I see I see you every day on my stories, you know, like I'm yeah. I, I follow your life. So, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You, absolutely. Yeah. OK, um, on your Instagram, also on your stories in your main feed, um, you've talked <laughs> and, and also you've talked with me personally about how you've kind of doubted yourself in the past and you've kind of mm -hmm. experienced imposter syndrome. So no. firstly, why do you think that in the past you have experienced this? And secondly, what did you do to overcome them? Yeah. Mm. So I think the major factor was that I was on social media a lot and I was following my colleagues, competitors, let's say, and I was watching them constantly. Yeah. And then you're like sitting there and thinking, Oh my God, they're so successful. I'm a loser, you know, but what you see is actually a tip of an iceberg. You don't see the hard work behind it. You don't see how much uh, effort they put into it. You just see, you know, all, everyone being successful. So um, since then, I've also read uh, a lot about, you know, social media and its influence on uh, us and uh, yeah, one of the books that I that I can uh, highly recommend to you is um, uh, Anders Hansen. It's he's I think a Swedish uh, author, and the um, a book is called Insta Brain. So it's basically talking about how social media leads us to stress and depression. Um, and well, it's not uh, you know it's not a surprise that it does that. But uh, this book actually shows, you know, the scientific uh, research uh, done uh, on this topic and also how we can uh, actually avoid that, how we can uh, rewire our brain to kind of not be depressed that much or, you know, to see what we can do 
now that we have social media and that we cannot avoid it in our life. Um, yeah, so I've been uh, much less on social media in terms of following others. Um, and I was more focused on, first of all, becoming a better uh, expert or a better professional myself. So kind of focusing on working with my clients and getting my own voice and my own point of view. Because when I was reading other people's content, I didn't have my own ideas anymore. I only had ideas related to what they wrote. And then it's really not original. It's really not... Um, yeah, it's nothing that it can bring value. Yeah. So I, I'm just like, you know, watching maybe, yeah, 10 people uh, and then some of my friends on social media. Uh, and that's it. I'm not uh, looking too much to others. It's good to know what others are doing, but it's like yeah. once in two, three months, maybe. Not yeah. uh, every day, not for hours. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that that's I think the major uh, factor. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Set aside that time once every few months to do the market research to get a feel for what the industry is doing. But there is really like it's only harmful to sit and look through what everybody else is doing all day every day and compare yourself. Yeah. And I think something that yeah. people really need to understand is that on Instagram for example let's use body like somebody's body body positivity as an example somebody could I mean I could look at a fitness or a fitness instructor or a models Instagram and say well their body is amazing and then feel shit about mine but people need to understand that on Instagram it is literally a highlight reel of the best parts of somebody's life you know like you said you don't know whether maybe they have depression because they've you know sacrificed so much just to look like that maybe they haven't eaten yeah. in a week you know you don't know and i think another thing people need to understand is outside of social media as well is you can't compare yourself to anybody else simply because every single person has a unique situation yeah. You know, may, maybe they're slightly older than you, so they have more experience. Maybe they had a parent that was able to teach them, so they've been able to get ahead in terms of knowledge. You, you know, you don't know what they are doing. And equally, a lot of people don't even look internally and consider everything that makes up them, all the factors in their life that could give them an advantage or disadvantage. So I think it's important yeah. for people to understand the situation you're in and understand that you cannot compare yourself to anybody else unless it's for obviously market research to learn what the industry is doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and then, um, kind of, you know, getting, uh, off of social media, you know, and then, um, uh, thinking, okay, uh, what do I have in my life and being yeah. grateful for what you have in your life? that's uh that's what actually makes you happy in the end yeah, yeah not absolutely that you yeah not the absolutely social yeah. Media part. even though we have to be on social media to market our services <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah no i know that is one thing that i've kind of struggled with before it's finding that balance of well i want to spend as little time on social media as i can but at the same time i need to be on it because the more time i spend on the platform theoretically the more my platform will grow the more clients i'll be getting yeah. so yeah it's kind of finding that balance um mm -hmm. and i think 
yeah absolutely it's just really appreciate the things that you do have you know there's so much in your life that you could complain about sure and there's so much that could be better but there's also so much that you have that somebody else may not have or that if you didn't have regardless of what everyone mm-hmm. else is doing but if you didn't have it you wouldn't be able to do certain things that you enjoy um i mean for example before this call i was telling you that my internet is horrific now i could sit mm-hmm. here and complain about the fact that my internet's awful or i can be grateful for the fact that i have internet at all because at the end of the day if i didn't where would i be yeah. i wouldn't be on this call i wouldn't be able to run my business i wouldn't be able to do anything so i'm yeah. gr- while it is awful and i will move out as soon as i can I'm still grateful <laughs> for the fact that I have internet at all because it could be much, much worse. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool, uh... cool. Right, so then moving on to the, the last kind of question I have for you then. So you're obviously a very busy person running a business and you also are in a successful relationship. Two very time-consuming things as well as having <laughs> a life outside of work and a life outside of your relationship. So... For you, what are some of the biggest red flags to look out for for potential partners if you are somebody like you who is a busy person, who does have ambition, who has goals outside of that relationship? Um, I think it's uh, the same kind of red flags that you should look out for in any kind of relationship. It's, uh, you know, um, if you want to have a successful relationship it should be an adult relationship it shouldn't be relationship based on codependency on like uh one beha- like two people behaving as children and kind of demanding attention from each other and being jealous of uh the other person's success you know so if it's an adult relationship then it will work um and you know like you will be supporting each other in uh, your ambition and kind of making things work so if it's uh, anything else then it's yeah then, then it doesn't matter if you have ambition or if you don't there is always going to be a reason uh why to be jealous why to be angry why uh you know like com- to complain mm, so i think it's uh, it's not really different um but yeah i i I should say i've been lucky you know to have someone to support me and also while i was working two jobs to take over you know some household things the cooking the cleaning uh you know while i was still also uh, studying for the copywriter and then yeah so then then of course it was much more busy now i spend let's say much less time working that i than i did before so i would say it came to a balance now so i tend to still want to work in the evening sometime and uh, so after dinner basically but uh, weekend is off limits that's something that yeah i'm not working on weekends and i know that it's better for me in the long term as well so um yeah it's again i've uh, read so many productivity and kind of uh, uh, self-improvement books in the recent months that all, all of them say the same, like finding a balance and kind of scheduling what you need to have in your life. So scheduling the fun time as well, mm-hmm. scheduling the Netflix time, <laughs> scheduling the <laughs> hobbies, um, and then, then, then it will be fine. 
then yeah. it, it uh, yeah and also still keeping in mind that work is not your life that mm-hmm. your life is not only work <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely you need to like the, the reason most people work is so that they have the freedom in terms of money to be able to yeah. do the things they really really enjoy doing you know even if you really enjoy your work you would potentially still enjoy i don't know going on holiday every month you would potentially enjoy that yeah. more so it's important to remember that the end goal isn't to work for the sake of working it is like you yeah. said to work to have the freedom to be able to do whatever it is you want regardless of whether that makes money or not yeah yeah exactly and that's also why i quit my um office job you know i was getting enough money i was getting paid enough to have holidays uh but it, i was still spending eight hours a day you know doing something that i didn't like so now uh, even though i'm still not at the level that i was when i was working in the office you know financially i'm still feeling much better because i don't need you know spend to spend money on a therapist for example <laughs> and uh, you know fighting my burnout uh, yeah. Because, right, like I, I can also um, just enjoy Mondays while before Monday was a dreadful day. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's that's uh, something that you maybe don't feel immediately, but then it still influences your life a lot. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think definitely like a lot of people, I think if you hate Mondays and dread Mondays, then that's kind of a sign that you're doing the wrong thing for sure. You should be looking forward yeah. to the week um, or at least not dreading it anyway. So one one kind yeah. of trend, going back to kind of the relationship kind of thing we were talking about, mm-hmm. one trend that I've kind of noticed is if somebody is with their partner from a young age, so let's say kind of my age or a bit younger, they kind of tend to have that childish relationship you were talking about with the codependency, with mm. the not being able to be ambitious outside of one another. Whereas when you get into relationships, moving towards your 30s, maybe the relationships do tend to become more adult and you obviously have that time mm-hmm. apart. You're kind of respecting each other's ambition. So first of all, have you kind of experienced that and seen that? And secondly, if somebody is in a position where they are in a quote-unquote childish relationship, how can they go about transforming that relationship relationship into something that's going to help them achieve and nourish their goals and instead of kind of inhibiting it? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'd say um, I'll start with the second question. Um, relationship uh, will succeed if you work on it. So for a childish relationship to grow into something, uh, not, yeah, an adult relationship, you have to become an adult yourself, right? So you have to grow as a person. And if you grow and another person doesn't, then it still won't work. Uh, so it takes immense amount of effort. So it's, it's either a coach or psychologist or I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, or even self-help books, if that helps. So basically, uh, willing to grow out of that. Um, that's that's what will lead to success, I think. That um, if you don't change anything, then 
yeah, people grow old and still uh, stay in those childish relationships and not being able to say how they feel openly or, you know, like being uh, irritated at each other and not knowing why. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, I think, um, in the end, if you want to work on it and if you both want to develop, then that's, that's how uh, it should go, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, absolutely. And the first question, I forgot a bit. <laughs> Um, so have you kind of noticed as well the trend where the younger you are, ah. you kind of get into these younger, like these uh, childish relationships. And then if you kind of don't leave, then they're kind of stuck in that way. Whereas as you get older, they do tend to become more adult, more developed. Yeah, I think that actually that's another thing. Um, often when we are at our 30s or like kind of the older we get the more experience we get as well so the first relationship might have been childish but then you learn something from it then you go to another relationship and then you're like oh i've done that i don't like that so i'm not going to do it uh, the same way now i want to try a different way with this person and then it uh, might work you know like then you develop as well from that uh, previous relationship so i think um yeah it gets tougher if for example someone has not had a relationship before 30 and then it's like you have first relationship while you are expected already you know um at 35 society wants you to get married and have children you know so especially in uh, ukraine or russia something uh, 25 you have to have children already so then uh, it's kind of uh, hard uh, if the society puts that pressure on you and you are still, you know, in, in your first stage of relationship and you don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. You definitely touched on an important point there. You know, like I think everybody's had bad and good relationships. And I think the key is, like, I personally don't regret any of my past relationships, even if some of them were bad or even if they're awful. It's important to take away lessons from them and at the very least yeah. you can learn to understand what it is you don't want from a relationship you know maybe in a past relationship you've had to hide how you feel or you can't be direct with them otherwise they get upset well then you know if that's not something you like then you know, like you said you know in a future relationship well i need to date somebody who likes the directness and is direct with me so it's kind of understanding mm -hmm. that and using that to fuel the success of your future relationships for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I would say it's like anything in life. It's uh, you either succeed or you learn a lesson, valuable yeah. lesson uh, from it. So um, basically, yeah, looking at everything that happens to you as mm -hmm. a way to learn, that's, I think the best approach then you are going to grow um, every time and uh, yeah become a better version of yourself yeah From, absolutely yeah. absolutely agree with that it's it that's definitely the I would say that's I don't want to say it's the right way but that's kind of the best way that I've seen to look at life and look at any potential mm -hmm. regrets or mistakes you might have made for sure 
Um, okay, one, one last thing I kind of wanted to touch on then is you obviously talked about relationships requiring a lot of effort, a lot of energy put into them to make them work in some cases anyway. Totally mm -hmm. agree. And I think anybody who tries to claim that relationships are easy uh, basically mm -hmm. hasn't been in a relationship that, you know, that you know, haven't been in a real relationship anyway. Um, my question is then, because I've heard some people say that being single is more difficult. And I've also heard some people say that being in a relationship is more difficult. Now, I personally believe that it's kind of unfair to compare the two. I think each of them have different challenges you need to face, different difficulties. But I'm curious, what do you think? Do you think that being single is more difficult or being in a relationship mm -hmm. or kind of a blend? <laughs> I think uh, I've always been uh, kind of a relationship girl, so uh, for me it's <laughs> hard to say, you know, like uh, since, I don't know, a really long time, I, um, well, I remember the periods when I didn't have uh, a boyfriend, but then uh, it, I didn't feel empty or anything. I was, yeah. you know, focused on my uh, self-development, on some projects, on, you know, on the future. So, yeah, I don't have, you know, really um, any prejudices against being single. Um, but, yeah, also, I feel like now I really like that I have someone to be with and spend the quarantine with and be in, the, you know, in the lockdown with. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's, uh, I think um knowing what you want and then just um following that so if you want a relationship and if you feel happy in it then just look for it and if you are fine without uh anyone then yeah why not mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely i absolutely agree um i'm obviously in a relationship right now but while i would obviously be upset if we broke up I think the important thing to remember is in, in an adult relationship, if you were to break up and then you were to become single again, it's not like your life should or would change massively. So for me, it would be, well, I'm still going to be running my business. I'm still going to be working on my self-development. I'm still going to be enjoying all of the hobbies that I do anyway. The real, the only real difference mm -hmm. is obviously I wouldn't be living with somebody and I wouldn't be spending a portion of my time with that person. So that's kind of the, the mm -hmm. big difference then is that you just don't spend some time with a particular person, generally speaking, and don't share the kind of feelings, emotions and, and kind of the experiences with a specific person. But I don't feel that, or personally anyway, I don't feel that in a healthy adult relationship, you should feel like, well, if we break up, then my life's going to become awful. I'm going to hate my life. Mm. You know, your your happiness, mm -hmm. your enjoyment of life shouldn't be tied to somebody else, whether it be a friend, a business partner or a relationship. Uh, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. Uh, but at the same time, uh, what I've experienced as well, uh, that um, when I just moved uh, here to the Netherlands and I didn't mm -hmm. yet have any friends, um, it felt uh, lonely. Um, so I know that from, for me, it's really important to have friends. It's really, well, a partner, obviously, to, um, yeah, to have that kind of support. Um, so... Um, I can compare, you know, having no one in the country or having someone. 
And I, I definitely can say that it's better to have someone and uh, have friends, have a network of people uh, to go out for a coffee and to talk to in real life. And um, yeah, so um, I would say that definitely if I have to move, for example, and start over again, I really don't want to do that because I have so many friends now and so many people I know here in the Netherlands yeah oh yeah absolutely people need people and I mean I've never obviously moved and lived in a country that I don't know anybody in but I can imagine mm -hmm. that it's not nice going to a new country you're obviously not necessarily sure how the country works so to speak you don't know where the best yeah. shops are etc and on top of that you don't if you don't have a partner and friends to show you the ropes or even just to vent to or just to talk to and just to kind of support one another then yeah obviously that's really really challenging so definitely you need people in your life whether you're in a relationship or you're single or you're in a country that you don't know anybody in it's important mm -hmm. to have multiple people you know have your circle as it's called you know your your romantic yeah. relationship your close business partners if you've got a business or your you know colleagues at work your friends have that network in place so that wherever you are mm -hmm. if you need or want that social interaction it's always there available to you um whereas yeah. equally if you do want to spend time alone for a bit maybe to recharge or just enjoy a hobby that you enjoy doing on your own equally you can just say i'm not going to come out with you tonight or i'm just going to spend some time doing this thing on my own tonight yeah 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 of course so in the end it comes to also being uh, you know let's say self-sufficient in terms of yeah. yeah you know you can have fun uh on your own you can enjoy life on your own and then um your life only becomes better if you have someone not like Absolutely. your livelihood and your happiness depends on someone else yeah yeah absolutely so that's, that, that's to something to yeah to strive for yeah absolutely that's a really nice way to kind of conclude all of that you know with on your own life should be great but with others it should be even better not it's bad yeah. without people good with it good with so yeah absolutely Okay, cool. Well, that kind of wraps up all of my questions then. Did you have anything else that you wanted to sort of discuss or any other questions you have? No, I think not. I think uh, this has been really nice. I, I enjoyed uh, talking with you and yeah, we've touched some really nice uh, topics, some interesting things. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's been absolutely fantastic having you on. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Inna. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you um and for anybody listening or of course watching if you have any questions for myself or of course inner feel free to drop them down in the comments below and we'll get to those as quickly as possible thank you again inner for coming on thank you